This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Would you open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. All week I've been looking forward to having these little ones from Trails Kids help lead the band while we sing these songs of the Savior's birth. One of my favorite sounds in the world is the voice of a child singing truth. I'm thankful that from a young age the kids of the Trails are hearing such a bright and clear and warm message of the gospel of Jesus both at home and in the life of our church. What a joy it is to know that the next generation is growing up being taught who the God of the Bible is and of the great salvation that he's given us by Christ. So I want us to echo the prayer of Paul in praying that as they grow up, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith, that they would know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. The love of God holds us from the cradle to the grave. It keeps us from the cradle to the grave. Or as we often sing from life's first cry, to final breath. I had the privilege this week to sit with a man and his wife that uh, he was in the final hours of his life. John had battled cancer for a number of years and Diana had faithfully served him and cared for him through those years. When I walked into the house that they'd lived in for three decades, all of the shades were drawn tight and the lights were all off except for uh, one lamp in the corner of the room. The television was on, but it was muted. There were pictures hanging on the wall of their life together, life of their family, and their life of faith in Jesus. You know those moments where the air is thick with sorrow and peace at the same time? It's one of those moments. While John laid there in the final hours of his life laboring to breathe. And I know that the moment that John drew his final breath, that he fell asleep in Christ. That's how Paul sometimes talks about death for the Christian. And he woke again to experience the love of God in a way that he had only dreamt of. You see, John could face the grave because he knew that it was not the end. He had known the love of God given in Christ Jesus. I left their house thinking about our passage this morning, which speaks so perfectly about the love of God. I thought about my own childhood, how those, uh, of those who had taught me what the love of God in Christ was from a young age. And I, I rehearsed how I have personally known and grown in my understanding in the love of God over these years. And of course, couldn't help but wonder even as I go to draw my final breath, the confidence that I will also know the love of God in Christ in that moment, even in the face of death. The love of God keeps his people from the cradle to the grave. Many of us in this room have already come to believe God's heart full of love for us in Christ. You heard the words of John 3.16, which Mike just read. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal Life. So we received God's love and have known the affection of our Heavenly Father. 
I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones describes it. She calls it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Man, I love that. As God's sons and daughters, we have this incredible security knowing that we didn't earn God's love, nor because of Christ is it something that we can lose. But it is something that we're meant to continue to grow in. That You and I might know the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love in Christ. So my question as we set our course this morning is this. Are you growing in your understanding of the love of God? Are you growing in your understanding of the love of God? This morning marks the third week of Advent, where we'll be turning our attention to the advent of love. While the idea of love saturates our culture, the most perfect definition of love is not found in any love on earth, but rooted in the love that God has for us as His people. The theme of love saturates the entire letter of 1 John. As he writes, he wants his readers to know and experience and demonstrate the love of God. Our passage this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, is like a little school on love. It comes complete with object lessons. We'll look at the manger and the cross, and then finally the church, the body of Christ, where God's love is demonstrated. What I'd like to do in the sermon is highlight three lessons that we learn in this little school on love. First, that God's love is incarnational. We'll see that in verse 9. Second, that God's love is sacrificial in verse 10. And then in verse 11, we'll see that God's love is relational. So I'd like you to stand to your feet once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you be seated? The first lesson in this little school of love is that God's love is incarnational. Verse 9. John doesn't simply want to tell us that God loves us. He wants to show us how God has loved us. He makes the truth of God's love as clear as possible so that we might know it, not as an abstract idea, but as a person named Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the love of God meant everything to the Apostle John. So much so that in his gospel account, he never even mentions himself in the first person. Instead, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I love that. The one who Jesus loved. What an understanding that is of what it means to be loved by God. So as we think about the love of God in verse 9, we circle our thoughts around the manger in Bethlehem, where God most high in a manger laid. John begins the session by saying, it was in the incarnation that we see God's love made manifest, 
or revealed or made known, your translation might say. And here is where we see the love of God in the incarnation. The manger is the megaphone by which God announced his love for the world. The birth of Christ was no private event. It was public. So public, it was attended by heaven and earth alike. The angels who minister before the Lord. The shepherds who were the outcasts of society. They joined together that night in attending the announcement of the birth of Christ. And look how God's love was made known. God sent His only Son into the world. The word in the Greek there is monogenes. That appears nine times in the New Testament. It's a very important word. It tells us of who Christ is, of His, of his identity. We translate that as God's only Son or one and only Son. But for many centuries it was translated into the Old English as begotten. So the Nicene Creed says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And again, begotten, not made. That word focuses in on the uniqueness of the person of Jesus as a second person of the Trinity. So in the incarnation, we see the eternal Son of God condescend and take on human flesh in order to visibly demonstrate God's love to the world. God didn't send a messenger. God didn't send His assistant. He sent Himself. His love is incarnational. He dwelt among us. When it comes to communication today, there are, uh, I think, levels of communication and their order of importance. Let me explain. Um, it's one thing to send a text message to someone. That's pretty informal, right? To take it up just a notch would be an email. Um, you know, that steps it up a bit. It's more important still to send a letter in the mail. This is what we do at Christmas time. It's so important we want to send cards to one another of our families outside in fall leaves to celebrate the birth of Christ. I don't know why that's always it, but it works. But it's more important still to send a letter. I mean, it's the highest form of communication is to speak in person, to sit face to face, to be in the presence of the person that you want to communicate with. God, in demonstrating his love to us, didn't send a text message or an email or something through the post. He came to us and dwelt among us. Among us. He spoke in person. God is with us. So we also discover why God revealed his love to us in the sending of a son. Do you see that? The latter part of verse 9. That we might live through him. That little raindrop of a phrase holds an ocean of truth. That we might live through him. We're right back at John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That we would live into our condition of darkness the light of Christ has shown. Into our desperate poverty the riches of God were made known in Christ. Into our death. The result of our sin, the life of Christ has come, that he might bring life to all mankind. 
One of the main reasons that John is writing this letter is so that his brothers and sisters in Christ would know the love of God. He wants them to understand that he's not the only one that is the one whom Christ loves. That if they're in Jesus, that they are also the ones that Jesus loves. Even as Christians, it is possible for us to believe that God loves us, to see it on the written page, yet not to feel that truth ringing in our hearts, to doubt the love of God, to neglect the doctrine of the love of God, which is meant to be a help to us, which is meant to leave us stunned that God in His great love would love us. This this doctrine is not meant to be just tidy on a Statement of faith, it's meant to ring in our hearts, to be written on our hearts. Do you want to see how much God loves you? Look to the miracle of the incarnation. You, if you're in Jesus, you are the one whom God loves. Jonathan is the one whom God loves. Heather is the one whom God loves. That's you and me. It's unbelievable. So as we look to the incarnation, as we look to that manger, we see the love of God demonstrated. And we are meant to know the love of God. The second lesson we learn from our text is that God's love is sacrificial. Verse 10, at first glance, it might seem John's basically saying the same thing again, needlessly repeating himself. But it's never needless to remind one another of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is intentional. If the object lesson of verse 9 was the manger, here our attention is set to the cross. Before we get to the understanding of what love is, first we must understand what love is not. John begins by pointing out that the love of God is not to be understood in terms of our own love. This is love, he says, not that we loved God. You see, John knows our tendency is to think of God's love for us in the way that we understand our love for Him and love for others. The problem is how we understand love. By nature, our culture understands love as long as it's convenient for us. Or as long as it works for me, we fall in and out of love. We're, we're so short on love today, we don't even spell it out anymore. L-U-V. That's not a word. We've even reduced it to hieroglyphics. You send that heart emoji as if to say, I love this. We even heart something on social media as if to say, we love what's being said. But John's saying, no, if you want to understand what love is, You first need to know what love isn't. The love of God is not like our love. This is love. Not that we loved God. Now if you want to look at the source of love, the definition of love, we look to the source itself. We look to God. So we then learn what love is. Having made it clear we can't understand God's love by how we love, he tells us what God's love is like. God loved us and sent his son. He said that already, but now the idea is unfolded more for us to be the propitiation for our sins. Now first, let's look at how love took the initiative. God loved us at our worst when it was anything but convenient. It was sacrificial. It was committed love. I've quoted this before, but 
I came across these words from Dane Ortland again this week and found them so helpful. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Jesus loves to the end. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.8, While we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for us. Notice it wasn't uh, once you get yourself cleaned up, then you can come to Jesus. Or uh, if you went to church three out of four Sundays this month. Or if you strung together a good uh, length of quiet times. No, we can't earn the love of God. We simply receive it. John teaches the same thing that Paul says here, showing how God sent his son to an unloving people as a demonstration of love. As his most glorious expression, he died on the cross for our sins. That's what the word propitiation is getting at. Propitiation means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. To turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. We looked at this at Exodus just a few weeks ago. You see, in ancient pagan religions, human worshipers made the offering to appease an angry deity. But the New Testament speaks nothing of this. In Christ, God himself made the satisfaction, the atonement. He offered himself in his Son. So what's the good news? Where do we see the love of God? That Jesus Christ endured a cross of shame and scorn that you and I deserved. Where our sin and our shame were laid on Christ. And in return, we have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, these, these lessons on love that John, he's both stacking them up and pressing them down into our hearts. Wanting to convince Christians of the love of the Father, to see in the cross of Christ, written in all caps, God loves you. But he also knows that these expressions of God's love would be overheard by those who have not yet known the love of God. On this third day of Advent, as we have circled our hearts around the love of God, I stand here on the authority of God's word who says that if you repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And if you've yet to hear and know and experience the love of God, we pray that today would be the day of your salvation, that you would repent of your sin, that you would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that you would know the love of God that was poured out in Jesus alone. He is the way the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through him. Look to the cross that held the king of glory and see the sacrificial love of God put on display. And the third lesson we learn from our text is that God's love is relational. The doctrine of God's love and the witness of seeing his love set in motion was not meant to fill John's first readers' minds with truth just so they could be big-headed. He wants them to be big-hearted with these truths. 
This doctrine of God's love is not meant to be just a theological tenet of orthodoxy. It's meant to leaf off the page into our hearts. And then it becomes very practical. As a matter of fact, the central purpose of the letter of 1 John is not to give a lesson about the love of God for its own sake, but to show that God's love for us must be the cause of our love for one another. So if you have time this week, I would encourage you, just take half an hour and read the first epistle of the Apostle John. Read 1 John and listen to how he believes in the love of Christ. And then how he sets our love for one another as the litmus test to see if we're in Christ at all. He says, if you want to know if you've experienced the love of God, does your heart overflow with love for him? And does it spill over to the body of Christ? So we've peered at the cradle and we've eyed the cross. And now we turn our attention to the church. John wants an understanding of the love of God to then be the cause of our love for one another. How is it that the church can demonstrate the supernatural love of God for each other? Well, it's because we've first known the supernatural love of God ourselves. One scholar said, 1 John 4, 7's love one another is not a request to exercise natural affections. This is not about being nice or winning friends or influencing people. John's calling for a love grounded in God's perfection. Even when we see human fallenness, even when we see others acting selfish, to let the love of God be cause that pushes our hearts toward others in love because we ourselves have first received the love of God. Jesus prays in John 17 that his church would be one, just as he and the Father are one. We live in this cultural moment that seems to be the antithesis of the prayer of John chapter 17. Rather than looking for ways to love and unite in the gospel, even in a confession of faith, we are looking for and inventing new ways to subdivide. Even this morning I saw an email from a brother whose church is just being shred to pieces by uh, lack of love fractured by selfishness and self-interest and political persuasions and tertiary doctrinal matters. I mean, this grieves my heart. How much more so would it grieve the heart of Christ who died so that his people could be one? Now, I haven't experienced any of that here. No, hallelujah, that's right. No, when I, when I think about us, I think about God's supernatural love at work. I see it at work in you. I see it when you um, love, express love by serving. Uh, the way you love and care for one another in times of struggle and trial. and Your willingness to volunteer and to give of yourself to others. You know why? Because you've understood the love of God given to you in Christ. Does that mean it's easy? No, it's really hard. It's sacrificial for us. And there will be people, with, even within our church family, that will um, mildly irritate you. Um, you've got plans in the next month, and you know you're going to be sitting with family who really irritates you. Right? If no one comes to your mind, you're that person for someone. 
Yet for us who have been given God's love in Christ, we're not called to just muster up love for people. Now guys, we've been given this immeasurable source in Christ that is like an ocean without bottom or shore. It's a spring that never runs dry. So the command here to love one another isn't just white-knuckle this thing until you feel affection for someone. It's simply keep looking at the way that you've been loved in Christ. Think about the patience that God has had toward you. And extend that patience to others. Think of the mercy that God has given you in Christ. And extend that same kind of mercy to others. It's there when we lean into the supernatural love of God that we're then able to share and give to one another a supernatural expression of love. So the most perfect definition of love is not found in any love on earth, but in the love that God has for us as his people. It's in this little school of love known as 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, that our attention is called to see how in the manger God's incarnational love is demonstrated. To see how at the cross God's sacrificial love is displayed. And in God's great wisdom, to see in the church how God's relational love is put on display in you and me, not perfectly, but together as we follow the perfect one. Let our prayer be that as we grow together as a church, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, and that we would know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God that was given to us in Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the love that you have communicated to us. We think first of your word where you have spoken to us, the very heart of God. Think of Christ where you have demonstrated to us, now in flesh appearing, the Savior of the world. Reminded how you loved us at our worst. And brought us to God. I pray for any who are here that don't know your love in Jesus. I pray that today might be the day of salvation. Mm. That your love might awaken their hearts today. And I pray for all of us who are prone to doubt the love of God or wander from the love of God. That we would look to it as our source as our strength, as a foundation of our faith. Not that we've loved you, but that you have loved us. And in that, oh God, let us rejoice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.